0: Welcome guys and gals to the Man Talks show. I'm Connor Beaton, the host and founder of Man Talks. This podcast brings together some of the best thought leaders, teachers, and extraordinary individuals to help teach and mentor you on how to be a top performer in life, love, and business. Joining me today is Alistair Mose, who's a friend of mine who I met doing some work down in Oregon recently. And uh, after learning a little bit more about Alistair and what he does, I realized that he would be a great guest to have on the show. So today we're gonna be talking all about anger. (laughs) It's an important one. It's an important one when it comes to our relationships, when it comes to our work, when it comes to our mental, emotional, and, and physical health. So uh, so Alistair has been really, he's been working professionally as a counselor and educator since 1989 and as an anger management specialist in the private practice since 1995. Uh, during this time, he's developed a manner of working with men and women, which is respectful, solution focused, and based on both academic theory and extensive experience. So this experience really includes working with things like trauma, uh, historic abuse, uh, in, in a manner that honors each person really and allows for a depth and healing and and also looking for the, the practical anger management work that some prefer. So Alistair has a really uh, strong background in anger and, and in this podcast, we're going to get into a few different parts. So we're going to talk about anger as information. We're going to talk about um, how anger can help you access um, your desires. It can also help create shifts. Uh, in, in your life. So a lot of the changes that people are looking for um, can actually be had and found through the vehicle of anger. Um, and we also get into uh, understanding what our anger is trying to tell us. So oftentimes, anger is, is directly related and correlated to our ability to set strong boundaries in our life, whether those boundaries are with people that we work with, or whether they are with our intimate partners. So we're going to have a deep dive into understanding anger so uh, just a quick reminder for all the guys that are out there listening to this head on over to the Facebook community uh, join the man talks community on Facebook you can just search it uh, don't forget to leave us a review uh, rating and, and a comment it goes such a long way and please 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 man it forward share this podcast with just one person uh, and if you do share it out on social media please tag me in it I would love to To give you a shout out on my platform as well. So thank you very much for doing that in advance. And without any further delay, please welcome Mr. Alistair Mose. Great to be here. Yeah, I'm excited for this. You know, we've we met a while back, uh, we're, you know, doing some doing some work with with the master, (laughs) with the masters. And, you know, I really, I really liked and, and appreciated the work that you're doing in the world and Especially the you know the conversation ar- around anger, and so I'm excited to to dive deep into into a- understanding anger today. Um, but but first and foremost, I, I got to ask you know the same question that I ask all my guests, which is tell us a story about a defining moment in your life that made you who you are today.
1: Well, one of the one of the things that springs to mind the most is that when I was 18. My mother very suddenly, like she went out for a walk and she never came back. Uh, she died, and my dad, in his infinite wisdom, and and he was out of the, he was all the way across the country, and that we were in Vancouver. He was in Toronto doing business. He had to fly back, but basically he flew back, and we just didn't talk about it. We just never really talked about it at all and he didn't have a funeral, nothing. And, you know, when I was a teenager, well, I was only 18 at the time, but even before that, I was just thinking, well, the only thing I really want to do is go into psychology, You know, partly because I didn't know what else to do. But this whole thing where men just don't say anything, men don't talk to each other, you know, it's really stuck with me. And, and now all I do is talk with men about things that men don't usually talk about. So, so that ended up driving me in that direction and, uh, and it feels really healthy. So I'm, I'm glad to be doing the work. It's, uh, it inspires me every day.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, that's, that's, uh, you know, incredible story. And I understand, you know, I can understand why it led you on the, on the path that it led you on. I think I would, I would maybe if you're open to it, like to hear a little bit more about that, you know, just that, that story and that journey. So just for, for context, cause I can imagine like when you said that, I mean, I can just uh, imagine the, the sort of the, the shock and not really understanding what, what's happening. So ha- like, how old were you roughly when this all happened?
1: I was, I was 18. I was just going into first year of uh university at UBC and I just didn't talk to anybody about it. I mean, I went and smoked dope with my buddies and, you know, I talked with my brothers once in a blue moon when, you know, if we drank together. But that was about it. And and I had no guide. I had no mentor. I mean, I had a dad, but he wasn't really, you know, tuned in all that well. And his dad never talked to him. And so you can just see it going down the generations. And, you know, so I just flailed about and somehow got a degree in psychology through all that. I mean, I did get kicked out of UBC because Well, I didn't do very well that year that my mom died, but it, you know, when I see young people now, because I'll work with teenagers or people in their twenties or even their thirties or, you know, and up to the eighties, I think sometimes when I'm working with somebody younger, it's like, I wish I had somebody like me when I was your age, because somehow I flailed about and And eventually I, I ended up learning more and more and, started doing anger management groups, you know, because I grew up in a family where anger was either held in and completely suppressed w- with the help of alcohol, or it all came out crazy at certain times, or, you know, there was, you know, manipulation and lies and deceit, which I think happens in most families, all you know, in one way or another, uh, or so I have found over the years. Yeah, it took me a long time to sort of find my Feet in in all of this, but uh, now I get to practice it every day, and 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 I'm grateful for doing the work uh, that that you know that you you've done. Also, working with Robert Masters has been pretty amazing.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, and you know I think that it, it's interesting. You know, I, one of the things that I've seen as a like, as a constant is in in many ways men being able to deal with and confront and move through and process through grief. You know, whether that's uh, grief of, uh, you know, losing a partner or losing a parent or losing a child or, you know, wh- whatever capacity that might be just losing a loved one close to us. And, you know, I, I think it is a very challenging thing because if oftentimes, and I'd love to hear your perspective on this. But as you said, oftentimes, I think a lot of guys don't actually have the conversations or they're not really too sure what conversation to have, you know, like they're not really too sure how to even address you know, talking about grief with some of their guy friends or being able to express what they're actually going through. So, you know, if you could, if you could take yourself back into that space, or if you could address that 18 year old self right now, what would you say to him? Like, how would you guide him uh, through the process of being able to face some of that grief? Because I I imagine that you probably were feeling a lot in that space of losing your mom.
1: Yeah. Well, I felt a lot. And, you know, I I can remember lying in my bed alone at night crying, but I never shared that with anybody. I didn't have any context for it. Two weeks ago, I was running one of my many anger management groups. And and we do a check-in at the beginning of the group. And I ended up talking with, I just added my own check-in there. And I said, well, my 18-year-old daughter, a friend of hers, just died from, you know, using drugs that were laced with fentanyl. And she going to the funeral. And we had a whole conversation about all of this. And one of the other guys in the room had just lost somebody to fentanyl, like a good friend of his, a really good friend, two days before. And another guy, his sister had died, and he hadn't ever really dealt with it, even though she died quite a number of years ago. So I asked the group. How many of you had anybody talk to you about death and dying and grieving and and loss when you were growing up? And the the expected everybody just looked at me because nobody had ever talked to any of them. So oh, great. Well, let's have have that conversation now. So, how do you grieve well? And we just. Spent time talking about grieving and loss and allowing yourself to feel it and saying it out loud somewhere. And also talking about the the memories that you know were inspiring where there was laughter and and fun, but also touching into what it feels like in your body. Grief is uh, usually feels like a weight moving up and down the core of your body, right up into your throat, right? right down through the core of your body and it and it's heavy and people feel it and it just needs expression and so we spent 15 minutes just talking about this and all the guys were really grateful afterwards like it touched them and you know especially you know the people that were dealing with somebody close to them who had just died uh, or had you know had died some time ago it there was just more lightness in the room. In fact, at the end of the session, one of the guys used that exact term. He said he felt lighter.
0: Yeah, I think one of the one of the things that gets challenging when it comes to grief is that we end up retaining a lot of that you know emotional weight in our body because we're not really too sure. I, I know that the, you know, really challenging times that I went through in my in my past is that there's sort of the the mental rationalization of, you know, knowing that things will be okay, you know, trying to celebrate that person's life. And, and we, we do a good job, I think, as men, as as really like rationalizing and, and sort of contemplating our way through those losses. But I think one of the big challenges that, that comes that I've, I've really noticed with a lot of men is when it doesn't make sense, you know, like when they lose a partner out of the blue, or someone dies out of the blue, and, and it just, it doesn't make any conceptual sense as to why that's happened. And I'm curious if if you've noticed that in, in your work and you know how you sort of support men in leaning into that space. Because I've had a few guys reach out before and just say, you know, it doesn't make sense why this happened and I I can't seem to move past it.
1: And one of the things that often happens for men when they when they are uh, when they do express anger or when they do become aggressive, typically before that there is some sense of shame because they're in that place where they don't know what to say or do. And that shame ends up feeling like, like you're an abject failure. And many of us, all we learned growing up is, well, you just turn that into, you know, aggression. Cause that, that's where we go to feel some sort of power. And it's, Always end up failing us because it pushes everybody away. And in that moment where we're not knowing what to do, we typically end up feeling very isolated and alone and then push people away from us. Whereas what we need in those moments, what I needed when I was 18 was I needed more connection. I needed to know that I was going to be okay. I needed to know that it was okay. To be confused, how are you going to know what to do since you've never been there? You know, like I think when we go to uh, a funeral, it's a gift to us. We go there and all we can really do is be loving and and kind and compassionate to the people who've lost somebody. And this is, you know, it, it can be uncomfortable. It doesn't feel great. But when you leave that funeral afterwards, you feel like, well, I'm glad I went there. If anything, I've grown. I can touch into a deeper sadness. And for us to feel more joy and love in the world, we need to be able to feel just as deeply into the sadness and the loss and the pain and the fear and the shame. And if we don't get any training talking about any of this growing up, you know, pick me, then we, we can't gain emotional maturity and we just don't know what to do with any of the emotions. Mm. And so a lot of guys come my way and they're pretty numb. They don't know what to do. The emotions move through all of us regardless of whether we feel it or not. They're very physical and it's, you know, we have to be able to connect with what's internal in us and then you know, express it. It needs to be expressed through through song, through writing, through poetry, through uh, you know, voice, just you know, through talking to people about it. Mm-hmm. But that's how we that's how we make sense of it, and that's how we learn to relate to it. And when it's confusing and we don't know what's going on, we just need to talk to somebody about that, and it's okay. But you know, you know, I was talking with a guy yesterday, and That's where he has this struggle. He says, when I'm at work, I know what to do all the time, you know, and and he's the boss. But as soon as his partner says, like, I just need a couple of minutes, all of a sudden he's internally, he's freaking out. And he then he says there does something that pushes her away. Yeah. And then he feels bad about it rather than just being with that. You know, he could just say. I don't know what to say or do right now. And I feel kind of incompetent or like I'm supposed to know, even though like, you know, how are we supposed to know these things when we haven't been there before?
0: I think it's, I think it's challenging, you know, to actually, to just call that out as it is, (laughs) you know, to be, Mm -hmm. it's, it's good. I know for me, when I first started, you know, I think we talk, people talk a lot about authentic and inauthentic. And, and I think, You know, when we are being inauthentic in some way, shape or form, we're distorting our our internal reality or we're distorting our internal truth, something that we know that is true, but we're ignoring it. And sometimes when we get into conflict with our partner or they're wanting something from us and we don't know, you know, how to act in that moment or what to say, or we might be experiencing some guilt or some anger or some shame. And oftentimes we don't want to actually call that out, but that's a form of inauthenticity, you know, where we, we just push it down or try and avoid it or push it away. And all that it does is, is from what I've seen in in my, you know, in my work and in my internal experience is that it actually gives it more power. It almost gives it more attention because now you're looking at it, trying to push it away. So I'm curious because you, you know, you've done anger management work for a really long time. And you know, obviously, like I think most people you know they think about anger management, and I'm sure that they think of like the movie with Jack Nicholson and adam Sandler and and you know they have a certain perception of of what that is. Um, I'm sure it's not like that at all, but maybe give us some context into into the type of work that that you do in anger management
1: well i I think I take complex topics and make them more concrete and so we end up having conversations that just men just don't have elsewhere and i go through a lot of i go through a fair amount of theory but i make it very practical and and talk about what happens to in the body what happens to us emotionally what happens to our thinking when we move into anger and aggression and i think of it a lot in you know, these days as whenever somebody pushes your buttons so to speak because something happened right there's always some sort of trigger and when they push your buttons it's like they're touching into this some sort of trauma that's in you you know and they're right at the edge of that trauma depending how you know harshly they just push those buttons and our job is to be aware of what that feels like and aware of the thoughts that we end up having when that button gets pressed and all of a sudden we're having these absolute thoughts like you always, you never, right? We're blaming and attacking the other person. We just that go to thing right away. And so we try to pull these things apart and have conversations about these things, because most of the time in men's histories, they've they may have had these conversations, but they might have also had alcohol and a lot of uh, drama around the conversation rather than just stepping back, taking a breath and looking at all this without judgment and hearing other men talk. Yeah, yeah, I've had that experience too. And all we're doing is looking at our own stuff. We're not spending any time blaming anybody else. It's like, okay, so we have limited amount of control over what we do with our thoughts, our words, our actions, et cetera. So that's what we're going to pay attention to. And then I have the guys come up with goals to to do something in their life where they're attending to that. Okay, what am I going to do differently with my, you know, words and and, and sometimes it's just the the 3 second rule. I'm going to listen to my wife and I'm going to listen to everything she says and then I'm going to count to 3 before I come up with a response. Whereas historically, perhaps for some of the guys, for sure, attending the group, they hear the first three to five words, jump to a bunch of conclusions. And as soon as you breathe, you know, interrupt, talk over, finish your sentence, but get our words in there. And instead, now it's like, okay, so when we do that uh, in, in existential psychology, they call it annihilation. If somebody speaks, and their words really have no impact in the world, like they just kind of disappear, then it's like the person doesn't exist. So they use this term annihilation. And so I suggest to the guy, so how do you do the opposite of that? Well, you really ensure that you understand what your partner is saying so that Your partner experiences being heard and seen, and then they feel like they exist in the world and that they're valued. Well, this is going to go a long way to helping this relationship. And if you're stepping into compassion, even if you have anger in you, it's going to go well because you can't, you can have anger and compassion, or you can have anger and hostility but the hostility and the compassion can't coexist at the same time. So we, we choose one way or the other. And when they're using, you know, connecting to their heart and their emotional and intellectual intelligence, they, they tend to do a lot better. So
2: mm-hmm.
1: we do a whole series of exercises that leads uh, in this way and conversations about shame and conversations about compassion and what it looks like when we're going down that destructive path and what it looks like when we're doing something more constructive mm-hmm. the anger can be there it can turn into something amazing gandhi was probably kind of pissed off at of the british in india but you know obviously did something constructive he did not do anything violent.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah i mean it's it's interesting right like i think one of the things that i've always said is that anger is information and that it's information trying to teach us something, trying to uh, you know show show us something that that we're meant to see. And oftentimes, anger is coming from you know a place of, of reactivity, self defense. Um, so you know along along that veins, from from what you've seen. What's some of the common information that that men are usually meant to receive from anger? Because I think that oftentimes we just get angry, and then you know, some for for some guys that can cause them to completely stonewall and shut down. For other guys, it can cause them to you know, ex- you sort of have like the implode and the explode, right? You like for some guys, they can explode <laughs> and they can have their anger just sort of leak all over the place and and you know, really be um, somewhat ag- aggressive or or outwardly um conflict oriented and they miss out on the information that the anger is trying to show them. And then on the other side is the, you know, the shutdown, the implosive anger. It's the same very similar tool. So from your perspective, what's some of the information that anger is trying to teach us in any given moment?
1: So anger is like the tip of the iceberg. If you could hit the pause button when that anger rises up and it's very physical, it rises up like a wave in us or uh, heat rising up from the belly, and as as you say, it's like data. This this information is important, and if we could hit a pause button right there and look behind it, we would probably find some combination of pain or fear or shame or sadness or, or grief or loss. Or uh, and and usually there's something in the current situation, and there's something historic. So there's a lot of complexity behind it, but we have to be able to take that pause in order to step back. Because that first reaction is like our survival instinct kicks in. And if and if that part of the brain runs us, that's not the intelligent part of the brain. And then it it just turns whatever intense emotion we're feeling into anger and aggression, defense or you know, withdrawal, shutdown. Mm-hmm. So, you know, one of the, one of the two, and, and that doesn't serve the relationship. So having conversations and understanding this and, and feeling all of it and then practicing allows us to get to know what it's like when we're getting triggered, right? When we get closer to the trauma and you feel it rising up in your body, well, what can you do in that moment? One of the things you can do is you can be honest wow, this is, you know, freaking me out right now. Or this is, uh, I don't know what to say or do right now. Or, you know, give me a moment. I, I, I need to think for a minute, right? Because I think we grow up learning, we're supposed to have the answer right now all the time. And that's just not realistic. It might be what happens on TV or in movies where everybody's got the answer, but that's from a script. And so... We need to be able to stop and actually allow ourselves to feel and think, uh, connect to our intelligence, and so we can be wise in that response. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not what most of us learn growing up. It's not what I learned growing up. Yeah, I needed to want before I can get. You know, I could start getting better at it. And there's always more to learn, which you know, which, which is one of the reasons. I'm still excited about what I do because I keep on learning and I get to keep on seeing all these men learning and getting better at being in healthier relationships.
0: Hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. You mentioned the analogy of the iceberg there and I'm, I'm curious like what's some of the component that's underneath that? Because one of the things that I've seen is that, you know, if anger is the tip of the iceberg, I've always thought as anger is sort of like, you know, some people say that like weeds, like the the gateway drug. You know, which is I, I would I would say is kind of ridiculous yeah. in some senses. But I've always seen anger for for guys as like the gateway emotion. You know, for like a lot of men, anger is actually the sort of door that if you choose, you can walk through it, build a healthy relationship to to anger, and it'll actually point you in the direction of a lot of the other emotions that are you know attached to that peak of the iceberg, like you're talking about, and are underneath the surface, like. You know, deep amounts of of shame, or an incredible amount of of joy, or resiliency. And so, from you know, I'm curious from your perspective, do you see anger as sort of like the gateway, uh, sometimes for for certain people into the rest of their emotional body, or what's what's been your perspective on that?
1: Well, if somebody comes to me and says, "Yeah, I never feel anger," my my response is, "I'm sorry." <laughs> That's unfortunate. <laughs> are you alive? <laughs> yeah, are you breathing? Right?
0: Have you never been cut off in traffic? Like what? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, and and we grow from the pain, right? We grow from the shame. But you're right. Anger is one of those things that it rises up. And if we, if we can take that pause and slow things down, like sometimes if somebody has been really numb, the anger is something really positive. You know, uh, often for women, uh, especially because, you know, we also run women's groups and it's harder for women to go to an anger management group than for a guy because for a guy, it's like, well, being angry, you know, angry guy, most people, you know, they, they might even think that that's a positive thing, but angry woman and most people in society will go, woo, I I don't want to get near that. That's, that's not cool so there's this completely unequal response in our society for anger for women or anger for men men have an easier time signing up for an anger management group than women because anger is somehow more acceptable women are allowed to feel all the other emotions men are only allowed to be angry or not angry you know like like there's not a lot of uh you know There there could be a much wider spectrum of emotion, and I think when guys actually allow themselves to feel the anger and start talking about it, it can connect them to all these other emotions that are behind it, especially the the shame, you know, because, you know, that shame is, I don't know what to do. The shame is, well, if she leaves me, I'll be alone, and nobody will ever want to have anything to do with me ever again, right? We go into these extremes when that anger takes hold of us both for, you know, going down a destructive path, but also to something constructive, right? Because anger can be, I'm not going to put myself in a situation like mm. this again. I'm pissed off at myself for allowing, uh, you know, for not being honest again in a relationship or being honest, but being really disrespectful in the way I, I stated that honestly. Mm-hmm. you know, it's, That, that anger is what, what fuels change. Anger can, you know, lead us to create great change in our, our relationship and, you know, get to know ourselves more. Uh, if we allow ourselves to feel it and, and actually stop and we have to have a conversation. We need to reflect. We cannot figure it out on our own and people will come to me and, Say they've read all these books and they've done all this, but it they just they, they, they can't figure it out. And and I said, Well, this has nothing to do with intelligence because when that anger takes you over, it's you know, you're disconnected from your intelligence, you're disconnected from your heart, you're you're disconnected from the emotionally intelligent part of your body, and it's just the ego running you, and it's just survival. I have to get my way. And so we lose perspective and we disconnect from ourselves and then we feel bad afterwards because we didn't act in alignment with who we really are. That's where the shame kicks in.
0: Shame connects us to our conscience. If it's healthy shame, and then we go, Oh my God, what have I done? On the shame front? You know, I think it's something that, you know, nobody, men, women, you know, most people don't want to experience and feel. Uh, and you know, what's the, what's the sort of benefit if you can access your anger and you can start to be really honest about some of the, you know, feelings that are there. Like I, I was working with a client the other day and, uh, you know, he was bringing up money issues with, with his partner and they are, you know, they, they're, they've just bought a new home. They're looking at having a, a child and he really feels this, this strain and this pressure of being able to provide for their family. And he has a lot of shame around you know actually being able to do so but up until up until the moment he was just angry every time that money or finances got got brought up so what's the benefit of moving through our anger into identifying our shame what's possible once we're able to do that
1: well we we can be honest with ourselves and if we can step into some vulnerability and share that shame with our partner and possibly somebody else probably somebody else then we can start to relate to the shame right because uh men if they don't make enough money you know and that's most most people uh most men feel like they don't make enough money then if it turns into unhealthy or toxic shame it feels like failure and it's not just i failed that that could be healthy uh it's i'm a failure rather than saying I'm not, I failed, I didn't do the right thing, I made a mistake, it's I am a mistake, I'm, I'm a failed human being, I'm bad. And so that's when it turns into something that, that is contracting us, whereas if we're doing something healthy and actually talking out loud, wow, I feel like not good enough here and we can say that I feel insecure then we can have a conversation that turns into something healthy and growth can occur. You know, I uh, had a guy the other day who never showed any emotion except for anger. And he found out that he had cancer. And and he cried. And he had never let himself cry before. And he felt like such a failure until his wife said to him, you know, it's the weak men that don't cry. It's the courageous, strong men that actually allow themselves to, you know, to let those fears mm-hmm. come. And that was the beginning of him starting to allow himself to mm-hmm. feel. And so he's very grateful that he got and overcame the cancer uh, because that led him on this journey because he says, there's no way that my wife would be with me if. Uh, If, if I hadn't Mm -hmm. got cancer, (laughs) because that, you know, he's so grateful that he got that, even though at the time it was just the most horrifying thing. It led him to feel and, and he's just grown so much since then. It's really, uh, uh, you know, I'm just honored to be able to witness the growth in him, but something really bad has to happen before that growth Mm -hmm. hits. Usually, right? We, you know, some, some event has to occur, uh, that shakes our, our whole foundation so that, you know, we can start really stepping back and looking at what we're doing and allow ourselves to Hmm. feel, uh, his dad never felt anything. He did exactly what he was doing, but he's changing. And I think men are changing, uh, a lot, uh, just in our society, or that, that's, that's my perspective, because I, I've talked with thousands of men, and they just, most men seem really hungry, like they want to talk about these things. They just don't have a lot of opportunity. It's not really comfortable having these conversations with friends yeah. a lot of the time. Because nobody has any experience having these conversations, so they just, they don't have them. They're too uncomfortable. Yeah. So they need to go somewhere to, to start having the conversations. And so I appreciate the work that you do because you helped create some of these conversations out there, uh, you know,
0: for, for a lot of men. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the interesting thing is that a lot of, you know, a, a lot of guys are seeking change and growth and transformation and they, you know, they want to be quote unquote high performers and they want to be high performers in, in their, in their business, in their career. And, and the reality is, is that, you know, not, not expressing some of these things, not being able to have a, a healthy relationship with our anger, or you know, with with any emotion that that we that we have, doesn't actually allow us to create the growth sometimes and oftentimes that we're actually seeking. Because you know, like you said, it can be the thing that is getting in the way of the intimacy within your relationship. It can be the thing that's holding you back. You know, when it comes to your career, because there's an unspoken but recognized frustration or anger or shame. And, and, and that, that, that unspoken, but recognized. And I think that, you know, just to clarify what I mean by that is that oftentimes we recognize that we feel a specific way and we just don't speak it. We just don't talk about it. We don't share it with the people that, that it needs to be shared with. And when we have, Recognize that, but it's not spoken and it's not communicated in some way. It it begins to manifest and it begins to get in the way and begins to dictate how we have our relationships. So, you know, be, being able to have that dialogue, whether it's with your partner, whether it's with your business partner or your boss or your friends, is so incredibly important because it then it moves it into the realm of reality rather than trying to push it into a disassociate, disassociated state. The one thing that I really I really wanted to touch on and, and talk about with you, Alistair, is is this idea of numbness. You know, I, I hear and I see and work with a lot of guys that have gotten into a space of feeling emotionally numb, you know, and and for the first couple of sessions or the first few weeks, it's like, how are you doing today? Good, I'm fine. How are you feeling? I don't know. Not nothing, I guess. And I'm curious from the work that you've done. How does that happen? How have you seen a lot of men get into this, this numb space that so many guys find themselves in?
1: Well, uh, it is isn't unusual that I, that I meet somebody, often a guy, and we're having a conversation in my office. And he says, yeah, I don't really remember my childhood very well. And often what was happening in his childhood was that it was really chaotic. And one of the ways that he dealt with it was that he watched a lot of TV or maybe he disappeared into books or artwork. But he did something to disconnect from what was going on. And so it's like he wasn't really present. And this was a survival mechanism. This just helped him deal with his reality. But then he kept it up. And when things started to get intense or not go well as an adult in a relationship, he would just numb, which might be with smoking dope or, or, or drinking or other things. But it just, you know, these things that happen to us as kids or that somehow we develop, they just become our default. And then we just go there automatically. and. Well, unless we have somebody to guide us back toward feeling, I mean, you know, because little boys are actually more sensitive than little girls. You know, until they get up to a certain age—I forget what, which age, six or seven, or four or five—but at least at six or seven, boys start to recognize, "Oh, I'm not supposed to be crying," right? So they start disconnecting from all that, and and so. You know, I'll end up doing different practices where somebody starts to feel it. And and the surprising thing is people will come to me and they'll be have been really reactive. And after I talk to them with them for a while, I'll say something like, well, you're actually pretty sensitive, aren't you? And they'll say, yes. <laughs> but they cover up that sensitivity with reactivity or by, you know, disconnecting and becoming numb. So there's there's a bit of irony. They're they're not allowed to, or they've discovered in their life, that uh, speaking out loud about this is just the most shameful thing. And you can just never, ever, ever do that. Mm. And so it prevents them from becoming close to anybody and leaves them really alone. And the more alone we are, the more likely it is that we're going to react poorly. Mm -hmm. Loneliness is, uh, loneliness is a loneliness is a stronger indicator of uh, early death than excessive drinking which is pretty crazy if you think about it but loneliness is pretty uh, intense I meet a lot of adult men who don't have any real close friends or any real close confidants
0: yeah and I, I, you know I- I think that when you're, you know, when you're talking about loneliness, I think that 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 numbness that a lot of us have experienced at some point in our life, that that's a form of, of like emotional loneliness, you know, like where you are sort of cut off. And this is, you know, this, this can happen to, to anyone just to sort of preface, but, you know, we can get so cut off from our emotions that, that we feel lonely because we can't actually feel into ourselves. And so we try and seek this Validation. We try and seek this connection. Oftentimes, you know, I see a lot of guys resort to you know excessive amounts of porn or you know excessive amounts of dating because they're trying to they're trying to plug back in. You know, they're trying to reconnect with with some form of feeling or some sort of emotion, and they're looking for it externally. But internally, they're just they're they're cut off and from from that emotional depth and, and connection. So how how do you know if you were working with somebody? And they're experiencing this, this type of emotional numbness besides the, you know, recognizing some of the childhood messages and, and, you know, how they got to that place of numbness in the first place. How do you encourage them to really start to feel into the depths of their emotional body on a day-to-day basis?
1: Well, one of the things we, we talk about is the physicality of the emotions that because we all feel these and they all exist in our bodies. So when we feel fear, we feel a constriction in the chest. When we feel, typically, right, generalizing here, when you feel shame, it's right in your solar plexus, your sternum. And you can, healthy shame, where we apologize, we look the person in the eye, we hold ourselves up, it's like we lead from the sternum. Where toxic shame, certainly with withdrawal, we're, we're collapsing right around the sternum. You know, there's power when we hold ourselves uh, open, right? If somebody's on stage and singing, they need to open up. It's like you're trusting, okay, well, I feel bad, but I'm going to state all this anyway, even though I do feel bad, but it's right in the sternum. Anxiety is usually uh, in the belly. And so I'll talk about the, the physiology, such as when we're moving towards fight or flight the blood vessels leading into your stomach will constrict. It does this because we're sending blood into all our major muscles. We're bodies preparing for survival. Now, if we're in uh, a lot of drama and the body's feeling like we're under threat a lot of the time, then we're constantly preparing for fight or flight and we don't have enough blood flowing into the stomach. Now, the cellular lining in your stomach it replaces itself every three to five days, brand new cells all the way around. And it does this because we all have all these acids and enzymes in there. And so we need new cellular lining or we're going to end up you know, with an ulcer or with irritable bowel syndrome. Uh, for those who don't know what irritable bowel syndrome is, it, it means you need to be near the bathroom all the time because you don't have great control over what's happening in your belly. Uh, or gastritis, or or acid, acid reflux, or things like that, and a lot of guys can relate to having stomach problems, and that's about anxiety almost all the time, or there's at least an element of anxiety in there, and so I've had multiple guys talk about how, when they changed how they were relating to a situation, they were in a really toxic job where they were being bullied, and they got out of it, the stomach went back to normal they're in a relationship where things are really brutal on them. They, they feel like they have no power and that they can't leave. So they feel trapped in that toxic place, but they do actually leave. After they leave, even, you know, one guy says to me, well, oh, that's why I had irritable bowel syndrome for five years during a five and a half year relationship. When he left, stomach went perfectly back to normal. He could get, anxiety, because anxiety reflects how we see the world, right? If we're putting all of our attention on what we cannot, uh, you know, what other people may or may not be going to do, or how money may or may not unfold, or Mm -hmm. all these things that are out there that we don't really have control over, then it shows up in our body as out of control. And then our stomach goes all crazy. And so, you know, we also hold stress, uh, in our shoulders, in our back. Uh, sometimes it's in the throat. Somebody will have throat problems or they'll have something that feels like it's stuck in their throat. Often those that person hasn't been speaking up somewhere in their life. They need to speak up.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Overwhelm, right, is usually in the head and it feels fuzzy in the head or like there's a vice on your head uh, or on your temples. And so... Most of the guys have had all of these physical experiences, but they didn't really interpret them, you know, with very much complexity. In fact, they may have felt all of those things and just turned it into anger or just turned it into a bad mood. But the more we can define and notice what's going on internally, then it's like we can relate to it. We interpret what's going on in the body and start to make sense of this more, then we're stepping into more emotional maturity, right? Um, like I, I mentioned earlier, the sadness or the, the grief is like this weight. Uh, every different emotion affects uh, our breathing in a different way. So the body is where all the data is. And so I'll have guys practice noticing what's going on in the body. And, uh, and doing things like breathing exercise that help modulate your heart rate, that help bring the heart rate down so that they're more in charge of what they're doing with all of this stuff. Mm. And, and really it just takes practice. It's, uh, nothing more, right? It's like if you're learning to golf, you need to practice a whole bunch. If you're not learning a new language, you just, you need to practice. And, uh, and it's the same as this. Yeah, And so the more, the more we uh, pay attention to all of this and, and the, the second session of the group, the guys come into the se- session and their check-in for the day is what have you noticed over the last week? And that, that's all I ask. What have you noticed? Mm. And almost every guy will say, wow, things are better <laughs> Uh, you know, they're not perfect, but I've, you know, they've been practicing stepping back and noticing their own physiology when they're, you know, when things are rising up. But they're also better able to reflect on other people's physiology rising up and seeing what's happening happening to them. Because if you get triggered and you're, you know, physiologically, you're escalating up into fight or flight, the higher you escalate the more your emotional maturity level drops, right? There's this inverse relationship. The more you escalate, you get way up there and you're getting down into the emotional maturity level of a three-year-old.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay,
1: We've all been there, right? We've all been there and acted in a way that's childish. But now they're recognizing, oh, that's what's happening. And also recognizing if somebody else acts really childishly, it's an invitation for them to join them right? If their partner or, or, or somebody does something really unkind, really immature, it's an invitation for them to join, but they don't have to, you know, you can stay connected to the adult part in you, or you can let that emotional stuff just drag you into it or push you into it. And so the more awareness then, you know, they can self reflect Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and maybe you mentioned this earlier. If you can out yourself and say, "Wow, this is what's happening in me," it relieves the pressure or the the power of the emotion over you, and you can step back and and notice it. And go, oh, "Okay, this is what's going on." If I can say out loud, "Wow, I'm feeling really constricted and tense right now, and my breathing is shallow," I need to take a minute here.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: What, what am I? One of my favorite stories was uh, from a guy who came into the group uh, and he was about the fourth session in the group, described himself as somebody who would lose it daily. He's losing it on somebody every day of his life. And he came into that fourth session with a big smile on his face and he says, now I rate everything on a scale of one to 10. He says, I stop and I think, you know, in a minute, Or an hour or a day or a decade or when I'm 70, how much is this really gonna matter to me? He says, most things are zero. And the guy that cut me off in traffic or somebody didn't put the cap on the toothpaste or whatever it was, like most of the things that happen don't really matter, won't really matter at all in a in a day or a week or a year. Mm. And he says, So I just I just let those things go. And he says, I've wiped out like 85% of my free <laughs> He still hung on to 15%, but we're after improvement
0: here. We're not seeking perfection. And uh, yeah, and I think that's a good distinction too. You know, like that's such an, that's such an important distinction when it comes to any sort of progress. You know, I, I, I was just having a conversation with a friend recently and and he was trying you know he's been trying to start his business for a while and he said you know I I just feel stuck I, and I said why do you why do you feel stuck and he said well where I think I should be is so far away from where I am right now that it it seems to paralyze me and it's this concept that we don't aim for progress we often aim for perfection and then that causes us not to actually do anything about it so we don't we don't take the the steps to you know progress with understanding our anger or our emotional body uh, more clearly or towards our business or a better relationship or whatever it is, and we we stay stuck in this space. And I think one of the other things that you said before that's so so powerful is this concept of you know our our body continues to retain that that information right in in your body uh, if you're paying attention it really has a lot of the the emotional connectivity that that we're looking for and sometimes we can get emotionally hijacked and the the way back into being able to sort of like quote-unquote regain control as you're saying is to do breathing exercises or or connective exercises with your body or move your body in such a way where you can get back into it is there any breathing exercises, just because we're kind of getting close to the end here, is there any breathing exercises you would recommend for guys when they do find themselves in that space of, of being emotionally hijacked or can feel that they are on the verge of, of being emotionally hijacked? Two things. One is close your mouth,
1: <laughs> right? That can stop a lot of trouble from <laughs> happening. Close your mouth and, and breathe through the nose and breathe right into your uh, abdomen, right? Your abdomen works like a pump. It opens up and it opens up space in your lungs for air to come and it pumps up and it pushes the air out. Often we're breathing in a way that's really shallow and that's totally counterproductive. And uh, If you just stop and breathe deeply and slowly, it will trigger the relaxation response in your body and likely lower your, your heart rate Although this specific uh, breathing exercise that I lead every group through, and I have for many years, is called square breathing. And basically you inhale for the count of four, you hold for four, you exhale for four, and you hold for four. And if you just do that four revolutions of that, uh, it can often bring your heart rate down even like 30 points. It brought the heart rate down of one of my son's friends when they were playing in the provincial finals in soccer. He couldn't even warm up. He had so much pain in his stomach. And I walk up to him and I say, hey, look, I want to do a breathing exercise. He was like 12 or 13 at the time. And he looked at me like I was completely out of my mind. But I said, no, really, I'm a professional. (laughs) That didn't help. But. I just led him through this. I said, okay, inhale, two, three, four, hold, two, three, four, et cetera. And on the third revolution, he just looked up at me with amazement. His stomach had been in so much pain. He wasn't able to play. It just poof, totally fine. And they went out and played. Uh, they lost the final, but, <laughs> but he played. and um, And he had got that anxiety. His mother had the same thing. I, it usually gets passed down from generation to generation but just doing that alone uh gives us the time to bring things down and you know get our feet back on the ground mm-hmm.
0: yeah i mean the the box the the box breathing is is so powerful and there's some great exercises i think we've you know put out through the community here and I mean you could check out Wim Hof you can mm-hmm. do box breathing you can do uh one of the things that that I found really helpful I actually learned when I was singing which is you you breathe in and you you breathe in for the count of 4 and then as you exhale you allow the sort of like a hiss sound through through your your teeth almost like a sss, and you do that mm-hmm. you do that for as many counts as you can you know sort of like a count of 10 and then you breathe in again for a count of four and mm-hmm. out, you know, for a count of ten. And it's incredibly helpful for slowing down the heart rate, just regaining some some consciousness back into your body if you're if you're super jacked up and uh, and bringing you back into you know a really healthy space. So I appreciate those tools. Yeah. Um, is there is there anything else just taking you back to that space or or one of the things that you find? You know, working with men and around anger, is there anything else that you would like to leave guys with that you think is really important when it comes to working with our anger?
1: Uh, It just it needs expression. The uh, every emotion is there just as data. It's to help us be connected. First of all, with ourself, and without that connection with yourself, you can't really be connected with another deeply, and so taking the time to notice what actually is going on in you and ha- being able to have a conversation about it and it doesn't matter where you're at right you're you're exactly where you're supposed to be you just work from that place and find somebody somewhere who is safe to have a conversation with if you want to deep, deepen your connection with yourself you have to step into vulnerability that's where our our strength and our learning lines without doing those vulnerable things. It's, it's vulnerable to walk into an anger management group. It's vulnerable to step into your, uh, you know, to your edge, to your discomfort, but that's where all the, uh, the mm-hmm. learning
0: is waiting for. Yeah. You. So true. So true. Well, listen, man, thank you so much for joining me on the show and for everybody that wants to check out you and, and your work, where can they find you?
1: Uh, at uh, Angerman.Online. dot online, and uh, you know I'm on Moose Anger Management on uh, Instagram, and and, and my, my handle is Lose Your Temper, <laughs> which is where you can find which is where you can find me on Twitter, and you can find Moose Anger Management on Facebook,
0: and uh, all that fun stuff. Amazing. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. For everybody that's out there, definitely go check out Alistair's work. It's absolutely incredible. I do some great stuff, especially in Vancouver. If you're in the area, Uh, we'll have to have him come and speak at an event one of these days in in the city uh don't forget to leave us a rating and a review goes a long way and and don't forget to man it forward share this podcast with just one person uh, especially somebody that is working on their anger on their emotional intelligence uh so man it forward share with one person and until next week this is connor beaton signing off join me next week for another inspiring conversation with another inspiring individual